Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. So we're week two in this Jesus over politics message series. And I'm going to tell you, I can't think of a more timely uh, or more, a more timely message series than right now. We're literally, we're sitting about, about what now? Two, two, is it two weeks or three weeks out from the election? Which one is it, guys? Two or three weeks out? How far are we out? Three? We're about three weeks out from the election. And there is no, it is no surprise, man, that the world, or at least America, is in an uproar. And, and, you know, it's not an issue. Like, we see this in, in the world. When I say the world, I mean, we see this outside of the church. Those who are not yet professed followers of Jesus Christ, we see people arguing back and forth and fighting and, and mudslinging and calling names and arguing politics. And that's not uncommon, right? Um, but the sad thing is that it's made its way into the church, and you see more nastiness and more ugliness happening in church on the social media platforms and, and, and in conversations than you did outside of church. And that's a sad thing. Would you guys agree with that? It's a sad thing. And so last week we, we kicked this series off uh, talking about, here's the issue. The major issue with the church right now it, it, that we're facing today is that we, uh, we lack the ability to disagree politically and love unconditionally. Would you guys agree with that? It's amazing to think that if my rejection of your politics equals a rejection of you. Listen, we can disagree and still love one another. Come on, somebody, right? We see that even inside of relationships that we have, even with some friends, even if you're married, you have a spouse, you, you see this all the time. You don't always agree with everything that your spouse does, amen? But you can still love, that was a really quiet amen. No one said amen on that, amen? Throw some amens in the chat box, amen? You know, you don't always agree with your, your spouse. You're going to find things that you disagree about. Does a toothpaste lid go back on the toothpaste? Yes, the answer to that question is in yes. Does the toilet paper come from the top of the roll? Absolutely. It's patented that way. It was created to go that way. But you may disagree. You may be an underneath polar, right? Amen. You may be a toothpaste makes its own cap every time you brush your teeth type of person. It's okay. You can disagree and still love one another. And the same thing is true when it comes down to these issues of politics. We can disagree politically and love unconditionally. We saw last week in James chapter 1, I'm going to do a brief flyover review. Uh, what we saw in James chapter 1, it said, he said this. He said, understand this. How many of you know there's a reason why he said understand this? Notice he didn't just say hear this. Come on, somebody. He said understand this. Don't just listen to what I'm about to tell you, but sit on it and meditate on it and make it a part of who you are, right? He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to what, church? Come on, quick to what, church? Listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. We saw last week that, that what it means to truly walk in love uh, it's, it's outlined in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. This is what it truly means to walk in love. And, and that when we truly walk in love, we're not going to fit inside the neat little box of one political party or the other. There is yet a political party right now in America, now currently, or any that has been in the past, like, like the Federalists or the Whigs or anybody else, that, any other party that arrived, uh, came to power back then. There's not yet been a political party. That, that demonstrates what it looks like to truly walk in love on a regular basis. 
And when you walk in love, knowing that when you keep Jesus Christ as the center focus of your life, the filter of your life, when you walk in love, there's going to be some distance, some gaps, some space between you and, and, and a particular political party. Amen? Amen. So in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8, love, love creates space sometimes. We're always taught that we're to love one another. And if we just love people right, man, it'll draw them in. And it is true that love draws you in. Amen. It's true that love draws you in. Ultimately, at the end of the day, love draws you in. Jesus Christ said, when I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. What was he talking about? When I be lifted up, when you see the pinnacle of who God is expressed in humanity of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he's lifted up, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At that pinnacle moment, he draws men to when, he, when we walk in love, we draw men to us. But there is space also that is created. There's space that's paradoxical. There's some space that's also created. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. My kids remind me all the time that this is the one attribute, the one attribute of love that I mess up on. They'll look at me and they say, you're irritable, right? Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged, right? It does not rejoice about injustice. Come on, somebody. It doesn't rejoice about injustice in any form or fashion, but rejoices when truth wins out. Love never, what church? Love never gives up. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And verse 8, I love it, says, but love will last what? Forever. But love will last forever. In 1 John, we see that God is what, church? Love. That God is love. That love Last forever. And we saw last week at, that, that, that before we are citizens of this incredible country, we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Right? We have a kingdom address before we have a physical address. Kingdom policy often will clash with political policy. Kingdom policy, church, will often clash with political policies, with Republican policies, or, or Democrat policies, or Libertarian policies, or Green Party policies. It'll clash because the way that the kingdom of God operates is not the same that the way the, of the, the way the world operates, right? Because the world says, work your hardest to be the best, to be first, to get ahead at all costs. But the kingdom of God says the first will be last and the last will be what, church? First. And the least will be great. And when we give, give, it's given back unto us. Good measure, press down, shake it together. See, we, we, we give it away. When your enemy slaps you in your face, you do what, church? Turn the other cheek. When they sue you for your, 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 your shirt, what do you do, church? You give them your jacket. Sometimes when people read, they, 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 we have people who, who we, we read the Bible and we read it from a literal standpoint, and that's okay. That's great. I say, if you want to read some literal stuff, read the words of Jesus in some literal ways, right? Like when he says, love your enemies. Come on. Love your enemies. And forgive those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. How many times do you forgive them? Seven times 70. Kingdom, kingdom policy looks a lot different than worldly policy. And we saw also last week, 
that uh, Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. He is not a Libertarian. He's not a Green Party candidate. He is not a socialist. He is not a communist. He is not a capitalist. And, that, and last but not least, he is, he is not American. Come on, somebody. He's not. And if we have a hard time right now hearing that Jesus is not American, you might want to just evaluate your, your politics a little bit, right? I mean, like, if Jesus appeared right now, he wouldn't be clothed in the American flag. Come on, somebody. True statement. He, he died for the cosmos, for the entire world. And the last time I checked, the world had a population bigger than 320 million, which is what our country's population is, right? So our politics, we also saw last week that our politics should never define our faith. Rather, our faith should always define our politics. I love what Pastor Tony Evans said, and this is such a good quote, man. He said, Jesus didn't come to take sides. We often want to make Jesus on our side, right? And, and so different parties will use scripture verses and claim that what if Jesus was walking today, he would be a, a Democrat. If he was walking today, he'd be a Republican. But Jesus didn't come to take sides. Jesus, says, Tony Evans says, Jesus came to take over. Come on. Now, at least you think I'm telling you not to vote, not to have anything to do with politics. I am not telling you that. I'm not telling you to not vote. This is not to say you shouldn't vote by all means. Vote. This is not to say that you shouldn't be involved in politics. If you feel called to be involved in politics, by all means, embrace it and run with it. What this is saying is that when we walk into the voting, uh, voting booths, uh, we need to be sensitive to the voice of God and in our own lives. And when we walk out of the voting booth and we go back home and we go to work and we go to church, we remain committed to walking out the love of God. Above anything else, that is priority number one. My love for you is priority number one. Amen. We have to remain committed to loving unconditionally even when we disagree uh, politically. And after all, the last thing that Jesus prayed uh, right before he was turned over in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in John chapter 17. We saw this last week as well. He prayed that uh, the most important prayer, love prayed a prayer for you and I. And that prayer was, Lord, let them be united together. Let them be united together and listen to me and hear me. Uh, uni being united or unity does not mean sameness. Come on. Unity does not mean Sameness. It doesn't mean the same thing. Listen, the church would be a very boring place if everybody in the church was exactly the same. Amen. It should not be like that. We should not have churches that are full with people who only vote R's or only vote D's or whatever the case is. We should be a church that, that, that is, is full of diversity because the body of Christ is full of diversity. When we die and we go experience glory with God in eternity, there's not going to be a Republican part of heaven and a Democrat part of heaven and a Baptist part of heaven and a Pentecostal part of heaven. Amen. There's not. So unity. So today I want to spend a few moments with you talking about the law of Christ and how the law of Christ influences our, our lives. The Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, the Apostle Paul was an incredibly important figure in, in, in the first century church. He was a brainiac. He was an academic. He was very brilliant. He understood the laws of Moses better than anybody, and he was zealous for, for God. And then when he met Jesus Christ, his life was flipped and turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, and I'll tell you how Paul became—sorry. 
Some of y'all got that. Some of y'all didn't. Y'all got it online, right? Amen? All right. So <laughs> Paul, a brilliant, a brilliant follower of Jesus Christ, was also a Roman citizen. So Paul understood the tensions of being a, a citizen and being a follower of Jesus Christ. Yet he saw it as no real tension at all. He knew best. He knew best the law of Christ. So this is the law of Christ. Have you ever heard it? You've read it in scripture. You come across it. It says, and this is the law of Christ, right? This is what it is. The law of Christ is the love that Jesus commanded us to live in. Remember when he was asked by somebody, Jesus, what are the greatest commandments in the world? Or what are the greatest commandments? Right? What did he say? What are the greatest commandments? And Jesus responded to him with what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your what, church? Mind. In another translation, there's another version that says in strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor what? Come on as yourself. So what are the greatest commandments? Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. No, no, Jesus said, no, the greatest commandments are summed up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then later on, right before he left his ministry, he said, I give you one command. It is to love. You see, because when you love accurately, it was perfectly timed, ding, right? When you love accurately, you love God. And when you love accurately, you love others. You know how we say unconditional love? You know what's sad is that we have to preface love with the word unconditional, but when in reality, love in itself is what, church? Unconditional. Right? And so the law of Christ is, is the love Jesus commanded us to walk in. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you love one another this, the way that I love you, he tells them, when you love each other the way that I love you, it's at that moment that the world will know that you're my what, church? Disciples. They'll know you're my disciples by how you love one another, not by how you debate on Facebook or, or, or Twitter, not by how many Babylon B posts you retweet. Come on, somebody. <laughs> not that way, but by how you love one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, Paul goes and writes this about the law of Christ. He said, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. In verse 20, it says, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. And when I was with those who, uh, it said, and, and when, I was, when I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived too under the law, even though I am not subject to the law. In other words, even though, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I've been set free from the law. In order to win the Jewish brothers, I, I allowed myself to come underneath the law just to show them the love. The love of God. So even though I was not subject to the law, I did this so I can bring to Christ those who were under the law. And in verse 21 it says, and when, I am, and when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow Jewish law, he says, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. And this one it says, but I do not ignore the law of God. And they say, wait a minute, you just said you, you didn't follow the law. You didn't live in the law when you were with the Gentiles, yet you turn around saying you don't ignore the law of God. He says, exactly. I don't ignore the law of God. And the law of God is the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is love. It is love. When what concerns others concerns us, we are walking in the law of Christ. Did you get that? 
when what concerns others concerns us, we're, we're walking in the law of Christ. If we are Jesus followers, the, the law of Christ should be the very thing that is informing our conscience. And the more that we understand love, and the more that we receive his love, the more that we give his love. If you've been part of Journey Church for any length of time, or if you've been hearing me preach for any length of years, you know I'm going to say that over and over again. The more you understand how madly in love God is with you, the more you can express that love to others. And in areas where we can't love people who don't look like us, we are not yet made perfect in that love for our own selves. Come on. If I look at somebody and say, well, I just can't possibly love them, then there's probably an area in your life that you're not letting God love you as well. You see, it's the law of Christ, the love of God that begins to inform our conscience. And the more that we understand that, the more we begin to be moved with the heart of God as well for other things. Like, so when you see people are being treated differently than the law of Christ, we should feel some kind of way. We should feel maybe disturbed or convicted or, or irritated. I mean, think about it. What frustrated Jesus? You know Jesus got frustrated, y'all. Y'all know that, right? It's not a sin to get frustrated. It's a, it's a sin to hurt somebody in the midst of your frustration. But what frustrated Jesus? What agitated Jesus? What disturbed Jesus when he was walking his ministry? It's when he came across people who were not being shown the law of Christ or the love of God. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Brought in before the entire church, church body, uh, just completely naked, caught in the act of adultery herself. And they said to him, Jesus, you know, the law of Moses says she's to be stoned. What do you say we to do with her? And he's, he, he makes the biggest boss move ever. He says, he says, well, let him who has not sinned cast the first stone. Right? Right? The Samaritan woman left out, going to, to the well at noon. He, he meets with her. Right? All these moments where, where society doesn't love well these people, it agitated and it frustrated him. The temple, when he went into the temples, and, and he did it twice. When he went into the temple twice, and he overturned tables, and he made a braided whip, and he cracked the whip, and he drove the animals out with the whip. Y'all listen to me. Don't listen to anybody teaching you that tells you that Jesus made a whip and went in there and lashed people with a whip. Don't, don't, that's not what Jesus would do. How do you move a bunch of animals you just set free from, a, from, from cages? You crack a whip. Amen. You make a popping sound, you get them out of there. But it agitated Jesus. He said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You're, you're, you're stopping those who cannot even afford to pay rent to put bread on their table. You're, you're stopping them from being able to worship me with the sacrifices that were laid out in the law so they can worship. It, it frustrated him. And when the law of Christ, the love of God, is shaping our, our conscience, it will do the same thing for us. And over time, the law of Christ can shape major values and opinions. It can even shift culture. Did you know that? Did you know that the love of Jesus Christ put on display shifts culture? Come on, church. Y'all awake with me. Amen. It shifts. I know it's good teaching. Y'all just taking notes. I see it. The, the law of God shifts culture. Do you know that the Western culture in which we live in right now was, was, was shaped large, in large by Christianity? Even the judicial systems that we, we operate in, they were shaped by Christianity? 
That, that when the love of God is put on display and there's a stand that is taken, it begins to shift culture. Now, is it perfect in the Western culture? Absolutely not. But because it was put on display, it shifted the culture. Let me give you some examples. There were some very obvious things just about 2,000 years ago. Not even Some of this, not even 2,000 years ago, y'all. But, but some of these things were so obvious, they were a part of life. They were just the way life was, right? Like, like slavery. And I'm not talking about one ethnic group. I'm talking about slavery of anybody and everybody. It was so part of Roman culture in first century that people didn't even bat an eye about it. It was just the way it is. You know, four centuries uh, before, uh, before Christ's birth, four, four century B.C., Aristotle, who's a Greek philosopher, he was the one responsible for making sense and putting things in, 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 in common sense uh, principles and perspectives for people to grasp a hold of. Aristotle said this, 4th century B.C., he said, For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary. Listen to what he said. It's not only necessary, but it's expedient. It's expected. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection and others for rule. Aristotle, 4th century, said, let me make this plain so everybody understands. Some people are born slaves, some people are born rulers, and that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. We can't function right, his thought process, without having this type of format. And then you go four centuries after Christ, fourth century AD, you have St. Augustine, or some call him Augustine, St. Augustine. He said of slavery that it was an absolute result of sin. That slavery is, is sin. And this was a bold counterculture stance based on understanding the law of Christ, that people, man and female, were made in the image and likeness of God. That we should not be ruling over one another. Now, I know if you're like me, because as soon as I read that, I was like, well, wait a minute. How in the world did we get this picture of this in the fourth century? And here we are. It's 1850 something before we in America actually get it. But it still began to shape culture. And so we get to a place today and particularly in our, in our culture, in Western culture in general, now we're at a place where we get it. That slavery is not okay in any shape, form, or fashion. Christianity began to shape the culture. There was another thing that was really popular around the time, it was just common around the time of Christ and, and, and before and, and shortly after. It's this thing called infanticide. And, Infanticide, if you're not familiar with it, it's the killing of children within a year of birth. That's infanticide. It was, in the Roman culture, infanticide was commonplace. Actually, not even common, but allowed. Not even allowed, but, but encouraged. In other words, if you, if you have a female, or you have a, a, a male, and you have a second child and she's female, but you wanted a male, you could, by, by rule, by common, this common idea or law, you could go take your child and go leave your child outside the gates of the city or go take your child and leave your child in the forest or in the woods and allow your child to die and not be held liable to that. Now, when you hear something like that, how many of you go, that's insane, right? 
That's absolutely insane, but it was absolutely normal. And, and Christians from the time of Christ, from the followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, immediately rejected this principle, this policy, this practice. And they would go and they would go outside the perimeter walls of the cities and they would scoop up kids and they would take them back to their own houses on their meager, meager uh, money and food and they would raise these kids as if they were their own children. And it wasn't because there was a specific scripture that said, you have to go rescue all the children around the walls of your city. But there was this understanding, there was this understanding of the law of Christ. And the law of Christ says that you lay down your lives for your brothers, your sisters, your enemies. You lay down your lives. And it was the law of Christ that motivated them to, to do that. So then you go and you fast forward a, a couple hundred years and you, you get 318 A.D., uh, Constantine is now the emperor of Rome and, and has some visions. a really crazy story about how he came to Christ but, or professed Christianity. But Constantine makes Christianity the state religion of Rome. And in the process of making it the state religion, which, um, listen, was not the greatest thing at all. Because when, when the church gets in the bed with the state, we have some issues, Right? But it did some good things. And so when, when Christianity became the state religion of, of Rome, do you know one of the first things that, that Constantine did was he made infanticide a crime. He made it a crime. He made it illegal. And then you fast forward just some 40 years later under the emperor Valentine, and did you know that he turned around and made infanticide a capital offense? Again, not ideal, but it shifted the culture. Do you know what I mean by capital offense? It means if you killed your kid in a fantasy, the way, that you, the way that your grandfather did it, if you did it the way your grandfather did it, you would die as well. Kill your kid, you die as well. That's capital punishment. Again, not perfect by any shape, form, or fashion. Not even ideal, but I would dare say the law of Christ uh, began to influence the consciousness of the, of the empire. And it changed the culture. It changed the culture. So as the law of Christ influences our conscience, uh, we also continue to grow in knowledge and wisdom. How many of you guys would say that you're smarter today than you were yesterday? Somebody? Come on, everybody should have some, You learned something today you didn't know yesterday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat the drum of that. I'm, I'm smarter today than I was yesterday. And gosh darn it, people like me. You know, and another throwback. Some of y'all get that. All right. Maybe I should pick more relevant little jokes, or maybe not. But we're smarter now today than we were yesterday. And we're a lot further along. You see, over time, when, when we begin to learn to write and we begin to learn to, we created the printing press and, and the ability to disseminate knowledge and information, we were able to gather all the information, all the things that we began to learn, put them in print, and then pass them on to the next generation. So now the next generation stands on the shoulders of what was learned in the previous generation. Come on, somebody. And that generation stands on the shoulders of this generation. And that generation stands on the shoulders of this generation. And we learn and we allow information and wisdom and knowledge to begin to help shape how we view things as well. Do you know that you don't see things the same way that, that the patriarchs in Genesis saw things? Y'all understand that, right? That when God was relating to the people in Genesis, he was relating to them as a very primitive group of people. Come on. He did. And we don't believe 
even a lot of the things that they believed, that they put in Scripture. You don't believe it. You're like, well, what are you talking about here? Listen, do you know some of the, 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 the prophets, they said the world is established on four pillars, that the world is held up on four pillars. Do you guys believe the world is held up on four pillars? No. Was it wrong for him to believe that? No, that's what he knew at that time. That's what they knew at the time. But we get today and, and we, we look at the satellite pictures and we go, there ain't no pillars there. Amen. When the scripture says, you don't even know where the snow goes or where the snow comes from. And you fast forward to the time where we have science and we go, we know exactly where snow goes and where it comes from. And we know exactly how rain happens. There's this evaporation process. Y'all seen the diagram, right? Where it rains and it floods the rain and then it goes to the ocean and it evaporates up, makes clouds, and then it pours down again. We, we know stuff they didn't know back then. It should inform the way we look at things and, and, and think about things. Even for the for those in the, in, the, in the first century Christianity, second century Christianity, even Paul. You're more informed in a lot of ways than Paul is. Did you know that? Even Paul, the, the apostle, I know it might be stretching some of us here in this, right? H hang in there. But even the apostle Paul, you know things uh, that, that the apostle Paul didn't know. Like, you know, apostle Paul was, was in that first century culture where slavery was just matter of fact, Aristotle. And, and so you know how he addressed it? He didn't care. And this is the guy who wrote about the love, of, the love of God, the law of Christ. He didn't turn around and say, hey, the law of Christ says slavery should not even be an issue because culture. Instead, he writes in Ephesians 6, uh, slaves obey your what? Masters. And, and, and we try to take that and translate that today and say, oh, well, that's just talking about your boss at work. And so you're, a, you, wait a minute, so I'm a slave, I'm a worker, and, I, and, my, and the master is my boss. And, and, and that's not, no, take that part of the scripture, and you, it doesn't apply to us. Amen? Because we understand the law of Christ has moved our conscience of our culture to a place where we understand slavery in any form or fashion is wrong. And so we don't even need to address slaves obey your masters because we know it's wrong. Amen? Am I stretching some of you guys this, this evening? But we gain this information. We, we, we gain this stuff. And we, we take that and we go, man, I've learned something new. And, and you see, I don't disregard the love of God. I don't disregard the love of Christ. I make Jesus Christ always my focus. The, the heartbeat of Journey Church, the why of our churches, is connecting people to Jesus to experience life. Because we know that no matter what century, what year it is, what decade it is, whatever it is, life is experienced in its fullness when we're connected to Jesus Christ. And as I keep Christ as the center of my life and I gain new insight and I learn new science and I learn new technology, those things should be the very things that we, we bring to the table and those things should be the things that begin to shape our policy, our platforms, and our legislation. Amen. Don't, we, we don't have to be scared of science. It's a sad thing that the, the, that the body of Christ is scared of science. Amen. We shouldn't be scared of science. That's a whole nother message series. All right, we, we'll get there. So as the law of Christ informs our conscience and as we grow in knowledge and wisdom, we can then use it to shape our policy platform and legislation. How many of you guys are learning something tonight? You're getting some good stuff, amen? Thank you for shaking your heads, y'all. Put some likes, some thumbs, some hearts there. I can go back and watch it later. All right. <laughs> 
So there's this law that, that's out there. It's called the, the, the Miles Law. And the Miles Law says this, right? The Miles Law says, where you stand depends on where you sit. Hear me. Where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, in other words, our cultural context, that's where we sit, determines our perspective where we stand. So have you ever found yourself saying, I don't understand how they vote that way? You ever found yourself saying that? I have. I don't understand how they vote that way. I don't understand how somebody could possibly believe X, Y, and Z. Do you know what the, the issue in that statement is? It's not that the other person votes that way or the other person uh, uh, believes X, Y, and Z. The, the problem is found in the statement alone. I don't understand. And do you know what that means when you say, I don't understand? You're saying this, according to how I view the world, I couldn't possibly do what they do. Well, there again is the issue. It's according to how you view the world. Because if we're, we're foolish and we don't think that our environment and our family life and the place that we grew up and the place that we live didn't shape how we view today, how we view things today. You don't understand because you don't sit where they sit. Amen? I don't understand because I don't sit where they sit. And, and, and the sad part about this, and it's been like this in my life, it's only, listen, there are some major things that only within this last year have I actually moved past my own righteous thought process and actually sat where somebody else sits. That's just me. I'll just, I'll just make me as the example. When, when some of us, we, we can look at, our politics, and we see zero conflict between our faith and our politics. Do you know that? If you're at a spot where you see no conflicts between your faith and your politics, that's an issue. That's an issue because Jesus tells us to do things that are very uncomfortable, primarily walk in love. And when we walk in love, like we said last week in the beginning of this message, when we walk in love, people on this side are going to push back. And people on this side are going to push back. When you walk in love, listen to me, listen to me. When you walk in love, you care about unborn babies. Amen. People say amen to that one. But when you walk in love, you also care about the effects of war. And you also grieve at the casualties, the innocent casualties that take place with war. And so you also see, see, we want, Lord help me, listen, we, we want to beat the drum. We want to beat the drum of pro-life. And in certain cultures, we want to beat the drum. We're pro-life. We're pro-life. Everybody should be pro-life. Amen? And what I mean by pro-life is you're pro birth of babies, but you're also anti-death penalty and, and anti-war. I mean, think about it. A lot of times we want to say, well, I'm pro-life. No, no, you're pro-birth because you don't mind checking the box for people who support capital punishment. I'm tampering right now. I need to pull back now. I'm going to pull back right now because I'm going to pull back. But, but this should create, do you see? It should create tension because how does, how, I'm going to go right here one more time. All right. How does, how does abortion equal 
Love being patient and kind and not envious and not self-seeking, right? Always hopeful, always blues. How, how does that equal that? Or, or how does capital punishment equal that? How does racial injustice equal that? How does hatred of cops equal that? Come on, church. There should be some kind of conflict, like we said, between our faith and our politics. There should be some tension there. But if we get to a place uh, where we don't see, and, and I've heard it, yeah, I, I put my faith first. That's why I'm a Republican. I've heard that before. Or I've heard, I put my faith first. You know, my faith is the reason why I'm a Democrat. And I would dare say that's not accurate. That's not accurate. Remember, our politics should not be the lens in which we view our faith. You're not a Republican because of your faith. You're not a Democrat because of your faith. You align uh, with those things because of many other factors that have shaped your culture. Hear me. Please hear me. Y'all still love me. Amen. Y'all still love me online? Give me some likes and loves. Our political views and values are shaped by many things. And here we go. Here's just a couple of them. Number one, they're shaped by where we live. How many of you dare would think, I agree with that. My politics is shaped by the fact that I live in America, right? It's shaped by where you live. It's shaped by how we were raised. Our, our political views and values are shaped by uh, whether or not we were educated, right? It's shaped by what we've been told, excuse me, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've ex experienced, and it's been shaped by what we've seen others experience. And so oftentimes, when you ask somebody, well, why do you vote that way? I don't often hear people say, well, in my deep and thorough theological understanding, I vote the big R. I don't ever hear people say that. But rather we hear things like, well, why do you vote that way? Well, because I believe in the values that my grandfather had. My grandfather taught me. My, my father taught me. I believe in the values that were passed down from one generation to the next. I believe in the values that this country was founded on on either side. I believe in the, these things. But no one stands up and says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why. Does that make sense? We, we can't do that. It doesn't make sense to do that. I haven't yet to hear somebody honestly say that. We say, yeah, well, it's my faith that makes me a Republican. But not really. Not really. If we're serious about walking in the law of Christ, and that is love, then we have to be willing to take into consideration that, listen to me, that the person I disagree with politically just happens to see things differently than me. That where they're standing is a byproduct of where they are sitting. And I remember when I had this epiphany when I was 22 years old. And I used to drive from Williamsburg. I was a youth pastor in Williamsburg, but I used to train at this martial arts school in Virginia Beach. Y'all know that's a long drive when you don't catch it at the right time, right? And so it took me a while to get that. But I would always get stuck in traffic for like two or three hours, right? And, uh, and, and I started listening to this AM 790 talk radio. Y'all know that's like conservative radio, uh, right? And, and so and, and I was listening to it. And I got to the point where I was listening to it for hours a day. And I got to the point where I was so convinced from listening to AM talk radio, I was so convinced that every Democrat voter out there knew they were wrong, but they wanted just to make everybody believe that they were right. 
I mean, I'm just using me as an example. Y'all, none of y'all ever been like that at all, right? So this has never happened to you. But I was so convinced of that. And I had this epiphany driving at 22 years old, 23 years old, driving down the interstate. And I was like, wait a minute. What if they really believe what they say? You know why? Because I really believe what I say. And they really believe what they believe. And I really believe what I believe in. And could it just be that we disagree because we simply see things differently because of where we sit? And if I'm continuing to walk in love, I should be willing to evaluate things in light of this. And yet we get scared. I got three more, four more minutes, guys. Hang in there. We get scared to even consider any potential policies or values from the other side. You know why we get scared? Truth be told. Because what if I end up agreeing with them? Hello. What if I actually end up agreeing with them? Well, that goes against everything that I was raised to believe. What if I actually end up agreeing with them? Well, what if you do? My goal is not to, my, my, my goal is not to get you to change who you're going to vote for. Amen. I told you at the beginning of last week's message, this is not about telling you who to vote for and who not to vote for. I'm not going to demonize one party over the next. I am simply trying to help all of us understand that Christ first, then everything else. And if Christ is first, then I shouldn't be scared to have conversations. Amen. Three things, next three minutes. Three things that I'm going to give you that will help us move forward. Number one, listen. Everybody say, listen. Y'all, if you're online and you haven't fallen asleep yet, type in the word listen. Number one, listen. Listen to people who don't experience the world the way that you do. I will forever be grateful. I will forever be grateful for, for a guy that I know. Uh, Pastor Courtney Beard. I'll forever be grateful for him. And I'll tell you why. Beyond being a, a, an incredible brother in Christ, we had so many conversations when I started working with him about politics. And I was completely blown away that he did not vote the way that I voted. And we drove around and we would drive around for hours. And I would talk to him. I said, well, what about this? And he'd say, well, have you considered it from this angle? And I'm like, oh, no. And he'd say, what about this? And I'm like, well, have you considered it from this angle? And he's like, man, actually, no. And we got to a place where we could disagree politically and yet still love unconditionally because I was willing to listen. Listen to people who do not experience the world the way that I do. And we'll all gain some extra mileage, not just politically, but in, in culture in general, if we would just step out and listen to people who do not experience the, the world the way I do. Listen to a, a black person or a brown person or a white person or, or a Republican or a Democrat or a male or a female or a straight person or a gay person. Just take a few moments to sit down and have conversation and listen to them because they experience the world differently than you do. They sit in a different place. So listen. The second thing is, is learn. 
Learn. Don't just listen. Don't just listen, but learn. Understand what James said in the very beginning of this message, remember? James chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this. Don't just listen to it, but understand it. Don't just be a critic of it. Be a student of it. Amen? So you hear something from somebody who views the world in a different way than you do, then take something that they tell you and study it out. I'll tell you, one of my favorite things that we've done this year, 2020 has stunk in a lot of ways all the way around. But one of, the, one of my favorite things that we've gotten to do this year was, was our uh, Be the Bridge uh, life group that we did on racial reconciliation. I learned way more about racism than I had ever known in my whole life. And you know what was crazy? Is every time we got done with a group, we listened to something, and then daggone if we weren't researching and studying and buying books and digging into it, because you know what I realized? I realized that people see things differently than I do. Listen, learn, the last thing, and this is the theme of not just this message series, but everything we talk about at Journey. It's love. It's love. I love what Pastor Andy Stanley said, who is the brilliant mind of where a lot of this material came from tonight. But Pastor Andy Stanley said this. He said, never listen to me, church. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. And can I tell you, body of Christ, why that is? Because we do not have the right. We do not have the right to burn a relational bridge over a political view. Because you are called by God to walk in the law of Christ, the love of God that informs your conscience with wisdom and knowledge, helps us best determine what policies and legislation we go with. So I told, I told we ended, I didn't tell you who to vote for, amen? <laughs> but it should stretch us. It should stretch us. Do me a favor, would you bow your heads if you're in the room? If you're online, would you do the same thing? Bow your heads right where you're at. And let me just pray for you. Uh, all right now. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Lord, I thank you for all that you are doing in us and through us. And Father, I thank you for stretching our church, for stretching those who will hear and watch this message later on tomorrow at 11 or later on this week. Thank you for stretching us to see things differently. Help us keep Jesus Christ as the centric or center focal point of our lives, Lord. Help us to love like you love, Father. For it's when we love like you that the world will see that we're your followers. Father, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. We'll catch you guys same time next week, 630.